Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. A salute and a thank you for your for your service. This is EJ Stewart. This is Tommy Beer. Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast. Odyssey WFE and Original. We got so much to get to on this show. I hope you guys enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend. We're back to talk more Knicks. Big news coming out of the New York Knicks camp. Scott Perry, the general manager for the Knicks since 2017. He is out as general manager. He is not going to be retained once his contract expires at was first reported by Steve Popper of Newsday, then confirmed by other sources as well. So we'll talk about the Scott Perry legacy. We'll talk about where he goes from here and how history will look at him during his tenure as Knicks general manager. And then we got a lot of business going around the NBA. This is the biggest week in the NBA, really. You got the NBA finals starting. So we got a Nuggets and Heat. Heat finding a way to hold on that Eastern Conference championship series against the Boston Celtics after losing an 0-3 lead. They go and they win game seven. So now we got Nuggets and Heat. They play on Thursday. I want to ask Tommy, when you look at this series, A, what are some things you think the Knicks could take away from these two teams and their runs to the finals? And also, who does he have as a pick for this NBA finals? And lastly, we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference because there's a big shakeup happening right now. We have two major coaching hirings. You got Milwaukee with Adrian Griffin. You got Philly with Nick Nurse. And then now that Boston did not make the final, they were eliminated again in the Eastern Conference Finals. You also could be seeing a big shake up there. So what does that all mean for the Knicks? I asked Tommy that as well. So plenty to get to on this episode. Again, my guy Tommy Beer is with me. Tommy, how you feeling? Hope the Memorial Day weekend was good for you. Yes, yes. Uh, relaxing, chilling, um, spent some time with the fam, um, enjoyed it, got some nice weather this week. Um, we're inching towards summer. 
Um, got the finals starting tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So um, lots of good stuff uh, on the horizon. And uh, as always, some Knicks news to talk about as well. Yes, absolutely. So let's get right to it. So again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, the New York Knicks podcast. The podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you get the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Excuse me. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. You can catch us on the Odyssey Sports and WFA channel. So make sure you subscribe, give us a comment, give us a like on there as well. So let's begin with Scott Perry. So Newsday's Steve Popper is reporting that the Knicks general manager will not be retained when his contract expires this summer. Perry was hired by former team president Steve Mills in 2017 and stayed on in the GM capacity when Leon Rose took over in 2020. He was given a two-year extension uh, in 2021, but has seen his influence in the organization diminish with the arrivals of uh, uh, Executive Vice President uh, Worldwide West, uh, William Wesley, and Senior Basketball Advisor uh, Gerson Rosen. So uh, during uh, Perry's tenure, the Knicks made the playoffs twice, including the advancing pass first round uh, for the first time since 2013. They also signed the likes of Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, among others. They traded away Carmelo Anthony and Kristaps Porzingis, acquired Josh Hart via trade, and have drafted R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, and Quentin Grimes. So really, the, the foundation for this new era of Knicks basketball really is kind of wrapped around the Scott Perry era as general manager. So I'll ask you first, before we get into like where he ranks in history and kind of how you see the job he did, were you surprised to hear about this news that Perry will be out after the end of the summer? I'm not. Um, I, to, to be honest, I was surprised that he was retained by Rose and then signed an extension. Um, because as we know, once uh, once Rose came in, you know, he was a, a highly respected executive, one of the top clients, um, agents uh, in the in in the in the uh, you know uh, the agency world spectrum. Certainly among yeah. um, you know in, in basketball circles, his his clientele was was top tier. Um, so you know he comes, you know um, Dolan brings him in. He brings Worldwide West as as part of his you know part of his team with him. They bring in Will Perrin um, as assistant GM. Um, so I, I thought it made sense to keep Scott Perry around, keep some continuity, you know, get a familiarity with the people, you know, not only the players, but the staff and, you know, um, you know, dealing with Dolan, just kind of, you know, in any job, you kind of, ideally you'd prefer to have somebody that knows the ropes kind of show you around. Um, right. that's exactly what happened, um, with Scott Perry. I thought, you know, maybe they'd let him go, you know, once his first contract, um, would have expired, but they inked him to a two-year extension. So it seems like they had a good working relationship. Um, but, you know, all things considered, I, I think it was only a matter of time before um, those two guys parted ways. And, you know, you know Perry probably wanted a little more input, um, you know, reading the tea leaves there. And then Leon Rose may have wanted somebody that, you know, that's serving as GM that was was handpicked. Um, you know, there's talk that it might be Rosas, um, who sounds like he was point on the Danny Ainge, the discussions with Danny Ainge regarding Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah. So, so the all that stuff to consider so uh, you know long story short um i wasn't shocked uh, when, when i heard the news you know the timing seemed a little bit odd but you know again his, his contract was up this summer so probably makes sense for for both sides to move on hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
on your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I'm not surprised as well, because as you noted, it was a little bit of a mini surprise when he was retained. I think one of the reasons why he was retained as general manager was when Leon Rose was hired, remember he was hired essentially in the middle of a season. Um, you know, uh, you had you know, um, uh, well, I don't, uh, why is his name? Steve Mills. I don't know why I couldn't blank his name. Second, Steve Mills was fired in the middle of a season. Uh, Dolan and he didn't let the season play out. He actually hired um, uh, Rose. You know, towards the end of that season. And remember, the last game during that season was RJ Barrett. You know, hitting the bucket against the Rockets, and Leon Rose was there. And then the pandemic happened, and that was the end of the Knicks season at that point. So, I had Leon Rose probably been hired in the off season. I would have thought that maybe he would have had a full off season. Say, okay, let me get my own general manager in here. But because of the way the dynamics of the season were, I think he decided to keep him on. So that was why I think he stayed. I'm a little surprised he's been here for this long. So uh, that's, I guess, a credit to him and a credit to the fact that he was able to uh, shift gears really quickly after working with Steve Mills for those years and, and ingratiate himself into the Leon Rose camp. And uh, I, 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 I'm not surprised. So I, at the end of the day, I, 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 I look forward to where uh, Perry goes. I, I think to me, he stayed on longer because in a way, this became like a resume booster. Like to me, maybe he wasn't as influential as most GMs and other organizations, there are some teams that don't have presidents. They just have a general manager, like for example, the Golden State Warriors, which was the whole issue with, you know, Bob Myers. Um, like, so, so sometimes general manager essentially is running basketball operations. Rob Linka was the general manager. Then recently got promoted to president after the whole Magic Johnson ordeal. So for him, he could say, look, I was the general manager of a team that had no playoff success at all. And, you know, now we went to, you know, the second round of the playoffs, they're in a much better position uh, then when I got them. So I think when he goes to his next job, he can say, hey, I could be a person that could be hired as a president of basketball operation or a vice president of basketball operation or a general manager role that will allow him to really kind of have all his tentacles on the team. I think that Scott Perry has shown that he deserves that opportunity and I hope he gets it. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. Um, you know, anyone that's um, been around him has had nothing but kind things to say about him. Um, and covering the team, um, you know, for all those uh, many years going back, um, uh, Perry was the one guy um, I had to sit down in the uh, executive office with the, with with him and Mills up in Westchester. You know, he seemed he just had, a, you know, had it again, every, you know, kind and generous with his time. And, um, yeah. you know, all those those things that uh, that lends oneself to be successful um, in any walk of life. Um, an amazing story. Um, his father's uh, uh, his relationship with the Steelers and then the Rooney family. Um, so uh, uh, truly remarkable path he kind of carved. And, yeah, I agree with you what he could go on TV and have some success. Um, you know, there's a ton of options out there for him. Um, and like you said, it just, uh, you know, it made sense for, um, you know, both of those guys for Rose to kind of want more input and, 
puts hand selected somebody, um, you know, and then and then uh, uh, for for Perry as well to just kind of uh, you know go out on his own. And, and as you said, there's 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 and I think you put it perfectly. The Knicks are in a better position today than they were when he was first hired. And there are a lot of organizations we've you know, and every year yeah. there's you know there, there's they you know lack of draft capital and they just needs yeah. somebody to kind of get get the ship on the on the straight and narrow. And that's what what Perry can certainly claim uh, on his way out of New York. Yeah, I mean, most, you know, fire general managers, and this he, this wouldn't be a firing, but well, a lot of fire general managers are guys who aren't in work right now. A lot of them can't say that. A lot of them can't say the last job they were at, that they left their job in a better position than when they got it. So the fact that Perry can now say that, he can go to other teams. I don't know. Washington apparently is looking for someone to run that organization. Maybe this is his way to get over there. Then he can say, hey, there's a job out there. They need a real basketball operation, not somebody who's kind of, you know, under the tutelage or under leadership of someone else. Like, so, so I, I hope, again, I hope he gets that opportunity. I think he deserves it to me. Like, I think history will look at Scott Perry favorably for his Nick tenure. But I think when you look at Nick general managers, there's a long list of very incompetent people and Perry will not be on that list. Cause I think when you talk about, again, the team that we have now, it has Perry's tentacles kind of all over him. You know, he was involved with the drafting RJ Barrett, he signed Julius Randle in that what felt like at the time a disastrous offseason where you don't get uh, Kevin Durant, you don't get Kyrie Irving. It felt like this was a front office that had, had failed miserably. And then, you know, they acquired a guy who, say what you want about him, the guy is a two-time All-NBA player, two-time All-Star, and has been uh, a star player for a team that is now pointed up as opposed to pointed down, which is where Perry got them. Of course, again, he joined that Leon Rose front office and still found a way to uh, to to make an imprint to the point where uh, Rose would keep him around in, in the front office. And all the moves that happened since then, bringing in Emmanuel quickly, bringing in Obi Toppin, bringing in Quinn Grimes, bringing in Josh Hart, all those things. Perry, he had, uh, a, a, you know, some kind of say, or at least he was a part of the team that was approving these moves. So, I mean, when I look at Scott Perry, he's got to be one of the better Nick general managers they've had in a really long time. Uh, I was thinking about maybe Clint Grunwald, but like even he brought in Bargnani, so I don't know how much I want to credit I want to give him. But I think history will look favorably at Sky Perry when it's all said and done. Yeah, no question. In terms of yes, he's definitely um, one of the most successful GMs since kind of the Grunwald um, uh, check its days. And now, mm-hmm. now that's not saying much. It's a very low bar. You know? <laughs> the bar is the floor. The bar is the floor, you know, in the in the in the the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, so to speak. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, that being said, uh, you know, and we kind of mentioned it, but it is important to just kind of reflect back on exactly where the Knicks were when Perry arrived in 2017, and that is a mess, a nightmare, a cluster, yeah. uh, you know, what of a franchise. <laughs> um, they just traded a first-round pick for Bonyani. Um, you know, uh, Mills had, had, had signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to that ridiculous four year, $71 million contract. And don't oh. forget Ron Baker to a two year, $9 million deal with a oh. player option, um, inexplicably. Um, I, I was looking at that and I, and I wrote it about it this morning. I was looking at the five highest paid players on the roster that, that Perry inherited. So that's a 2017, 2018 Knicks, five highest paid players. And it's Cantor making 20.5 million. Joakim Noah making 17.7 million. Tim Hardaway Jr. making 16.5 million. Courtney Lee making 11.7. And Lance Thomas making 6.6. Those are the five highest paid players on an NBA roster. Um, and that's the roster that, that Scott Perry inherited. Um, 
Yep. That's why they if were you, drafting number three. That's why they got R.J. Barrett that next season. Right, 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 right. So, like, so, so it was actually the it was the Knox draft, and and we'll we'll get to that in a second. Right. That you know, before the the R.J. Barrett one. But That's um, true, right, yeah. um, but I, I and I think it's important to discuss kind of the delineation point when Rose arrived because, as you mentioned, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, the current Knicks team has its fing- you know, has Perry's fingerprints on them. Um, but it's kind of yeah. hard to give Perry credit for. Um, the signing of Brunson when we know that there was a lot of Rose involved and, right. and, and the moves since Rose arrived, you know, certainly um, can be taken um, whether you want to look favorably or unfavorably. Um, it can't really be pinned squarely uh, on Perry or Perry can't, you know, take full credit yeah. for it. But in the, in the interim, um, again, uh, the the first order of business for Perry was that kind of clap cap clearing house cleaning stuff. Traded away uh, Carmelo Anthony's contract, got yeah. back a second. Didn't have to take on any bloated contracts. Got back a second round pick, which they used to draft uh, Mitchell Robinson with. Um, and then the biggest trade the next year um, in in, in Jan- end of January two thousand nineteen. Obviously the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade, um, very controversial at the time far less controversial today um, because of how well, you know, all the different aspects have played out for the Knicks. Um, As you mentioned, the, the the goal of the trade, they obviously traded in addition to KP um, who had demanded a trade and was rehabbing an ACL torn ACL. Um, They traded KP along with Hardaway Jr. So got off that contract got off Courtney Lee contract entered the summer of 2019 with around $70 million in cap space. Obviously, we're hoping to sign a, a Kevin Durant, a Kawhi Leonard, uh, someone of that ilk, a, a max-level superstar. They ended up having to settle for Julius Randle. Um, as you note, um, looking back, it doesn't look like that bad of a settling. Um, right. Two-time exactly. All-Star, two-time All-NBA. Um, Julius Randle won as many playoff series with the Knicks. That's one. As Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving won with the Nets. One. Um, the other, uh, um, interesting tidbit from that summer, um, at the end of the summer, they still had around $15 million in cap space. Mook Mor- uh, Marcus Morris finds out that, you know, he, he kind of breaks up his, his deal with the Spurs. Nick signed him for a one year, $15 million contract. Then Perry flips him at the deadline for a first round pick from the Clippers. That's the pick that Perry used to select Emmanuel quickly. Exactly. Um, so that it was that kind of, you know, it, again, it, it is a rather low bar, but Perry wasn't in the room that decided not to make decisions, that decided not to compound mistakes. Um, they needed right. someone to kind of get everybody on track and say, hey, we're going to do things differently now. We're not going to sign washed up, you know, stars, uh, hoping that we can, you know, sell tickets and kind of generate interest. We're not going to yeah. trade future first round picks, uh, you know, and, and roll the dice that way. We're going to act as a um, a rebuilding franchise, act smartly. We're still going to try to stay, may, remain competitive. Uh, so, and as we sit here today, Knicks uh, obviously traded the first round pick this in the 2023 draft for Josh Hart, but control each of their following six picks after that and four additional first round picks. Um, those are the kind of moves. Those are the kind of things um, that uh, smart GMs do that, that forward thinking yep. uh, front offices make. Um, and uh, obviously Rose deserves plenty of credit, but Scott Perry was kind of the guy that broke with, um, you know, that, that was, that was definitely, you know, obviously we have the Phil Jackson debacle and, and Steve Mills and his short time running the Knicks made a couple uh, colossal mistakes. Yeah. Perry comes in, settles things down, takes a deep breath, um, makes a big move when he needs to in the, in the Porzingis trade that, that has certainly worked out well for New York. Um, when everybody told you, um, that it was the worst thing to ever happen to the, to the franchise, the Knicks. Yeah. They got rid of Hakeem Olajuwon. 
Ex exactly. A young Hakeem slash, you know. So um, all that said, um, was Perry perfect? Absolutely not. Um, but he does deserve a lot of credit for ushering the Knicks into this new era, which is obviously on the upswing. Um, and he was kind of the first uh, person to kind of get everybody together and say, hey, let's do this. He kind of set the stage and deserves credit with World Wide West and Rose and everybody that came yeah. in since then. Um, but again, he deserves credit for where the team is now, especially when you look back at where it was six years ago. Exactly. That's why I gave him a big salute to start the show. Shout out to Scott Perry. I only wish him the best of luck. And now the Knicks front office, where they go from here, who becomes the general manager? Is it I mean, Gerson Rosas feels like the guy that's like right there that I guess would make sense. I don't know how much I love him being the general manager. I don't think he necessarily did a great job in Minnesota. I really didn't love that they even brought him into this front office. So we'll see how that goes, I guess. But again, shout out to uh, Scott Perry. Again, a really solid job for the Knicks. And hopefully he lands on his feet and gets an even better gig moving forward. But um, we're, we now have, again, our NBA Finals matchup. It is one I would assume many folks had not predicted ahead of this playoffs. The Miami Heat are in Denver to take on the Nuggets for game one of the finals on Thursday. The Heat advanced to the finals after staving off a Boston rally from being down 0-3 to win game seven in Boston. Meanwhile, the Nuggets have been essentially in chill mode for more than a week. They haven't played since May 22nd. That's when they beat the Lakers to complete a four-game sweep in the Western Conference Finals. It has been 24 years since the Knicks have been in the NBA Finals, but in my opinion, watching these Finals matchups has often served as an important indicator for me of what it will take for the Knicks to get to that level. So Tommy has some very important questions regarding this Finals matchup before we get into predictions for this matchup, and they're Knicks-related. So I'm asking you for each team. I'm going to start with the Nuggets. What is something about the Denver Nuggets? And let's take away they have Nicole Jokic, <laughs> something like that, like something with like a guy on their team. But what is something about the Nuggets that you want the Knicks to implement to their team and how they run their squad and how they play um, from a night to night basis? Yeah, exactly. Just draft one of the you know fifteen greatest players of all time in the second round. You know that's uh, yeah. That's, that, that'll, yeah. That'll, 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 that'll certainly jumpstart the the rebuild, right? <laughs> that, that'll help a, a franchise. Um, but uh, yeah, no, seriously, I think. Um, well, first of all, they they drafted Jokic, and obviously, it's parts luck, part scouting, however you want to phrase it. Yep. Um, uh, but then they knew what they had, and they and they stuck with it. Um, a lot of people said, "Don't trade Nurkic. Are you crazy? You know, to create room for this uh, for this Jokic guy, um, and you know, two MVPs and another second place MVP and a, and a Finals trip later. Um, that was obviously the right decision. But I think big picture, um, to directly answer your question, it's just to stay patient. Um, it, you know, there, there could have been some panic moves made, um, getting you know, uh, you know, ousted in the first round last year um, with an MVP candidate. Um, but you know, the reality was, let's wait for Jamal Murray to come back. Let's not uh, let's not do anything crazy. Let's kind of work on the you know work on the uh, you know we have our cornerstones here with Murray. We we trust he'll get healthy. He's going to do the right things in Jokic, and let's build out around that smart trade for Aaron Gordon. I'd love the Bruce Brown signing this offseason, yeah. um, bringing in veteran presence like Jeff Green. It's this right mix of you know rolling the dice and taking chances when 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 you feel it's necessary by drafting michael porter jr even though we slipped to 14 um you know there was still you know obviously a great deal of rest coming off his back injury at college so um there's kind of all these these things that work together but a lot of those pieces have been together for a while now and in other markets and other you know if maybe you know you know denver's a little bit more laid back pop, pop, 
potentially yeah. lends itself to uh, you know these, these these not kind of rushed moves, um, but but credit to the Nuggets, the front office, um, keeping Mike Malone, you know, yeah. there for, for for year after year after year, some success, some ups and downs, um, but uh, it's all paying off right now, and that's and and there's there's something to be said for that uh, patience and continuity that uh, you know that you could argue that the Knicks could could benefit from this offseason. I think that's a very good point regarding patience because with the Knicks losing the second round, I think people, with every Miami Heat win, people feel better about yep. perhaps the Knicks losing to that team considering that this is a, a championship caliber team apparently because they've made it to the NBA Finals. I think for me, and I think my sportsman crush on Michael Malone is probably well documented from my Twitter account. He is probably my favorite coach in the NBA. And I'm a, I'm a harper on him. Something that he does that I think I would really like Tibbs to incorporate into what he does and what he brings as a head coach, which is brutal honesty when talking about the level of play his team is playing at. I think that what I've loved about Michael Malone is not something a lot of people are getting very familiar with him in this playoff run. He has been like this since when he was in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, he was probably the only coach ever to get DeMarcus Cousins to actually listen for a couple of weeks and actually like play hard. And it was a lot of it was because of his approach to how he talks about his players. It is with a lot of love, but it is with a lot of brutal honesty. And to me, what I see from him is a guy that when they were struggling towards the end of the season, he wasn't sitting there saying, well, we'll be fine and things will be okay. And, you know, he was saying this effort is not caliber. It's not to the championship caliber that we are striving for. And if we continue to play this way, we will not advance to where we want to go. We will get bounced early. He will say how it is. And, no, he's a Queens guy. And I'm a Queens guy, so maybe that's why I relate to him as much as I do. But to me, that's one of the things about Tom Thibodeau that has been the most frustrating has been when there are things that anybody who knows anything about basketball can see with their plain eyes. And then you go to the press conference, you have the coach not acknowledge that these things are issues. I think it creates a, a, a lackadaisical kind of mentality amongst the team, or at least among certain players, maybe not the whole team, that doesn't allow certain issues to get addressed. So I think for me, it comes with Michael Malone and how he approaches being an NBA head coach. I would hope that Tom Thibodeau could take a page from. I'm not saying you got to go out there and just blast your guys every single time things don't go well. But when you hit these little infliction moments in your season, which the Knicks had a couple of times, and you decide to kind of just kind of poo-poo it or kind of diminish what everybody sees as real problems, that I think is, is why you don't get to the mountaintop. Like Phil Jackson was not afraid to call out Shaq and Kobe when they weren't do things correctly. Greg Popovich is not afraid to call out Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Miles Ginobili. In fact, a lot of those guys, especially with Pop, the whole thing with them was that he coached everybody the same, which is why those teams were so successful. I think I need Tom Thibodeau to bring that same energy to the Knicks next season if he wants to remain Knicks head coach, in my opinion. Uh, it's a good point. Uh, I, I am I am the first to kind of um, diminish the impact that coaching has in, in games. And, I you know, I'm more about its talent. And, you know, obviously coaching is a part of it. But I, I, I have to admit, I, I, you know, if Mike Malone was coaching the Celtics this season, you'd have to think that they'd have a better chance at, uh, you know, yeah. only, you know, you know, they, right. they might be playing today, you know. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks were getting on um, you know, Missoula for not calling out the players as much. And I was, you know, one of one of the things I was thinking was pushing back. Listen, a first year coach can't say it. He's just trying to curry favor. But right. you're right. Malone 
dating back to his days with the Kings when he didn't have job security and finals right. tricks and all this, you know, resume, like he was, you know, straight up front, um, right off the bat. Um, so I, I and, 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 and the, arguably the, I think most people would agree the two best coaches in the NBA are coaching against each other yes. in the finals. This, so that lends credence to the belief that, that coaching is, is, is certainly a value. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it and player, roster composition all that stuff is obviously important um but when you get to these you know these these hierarchy game sevens and preparations and final series and eastern conference finals western conference final series um that's when coaching can have a greater impact than um a stretch of games in january february etc and thinking about this as well we talk about how blunt michael malone could be about his team and talking about whether they're playing great or they're playing terribly you've never heard michael malone say I got to watch the film before I make any judgments about what's going on. Like, I, mean, I don't know, Tom Thibodeau. Michael Malone's a pretty damn good coach. He's pretty accomplished. He's pretty smart. He's been an assistant coach for a long time. He can give an assessment about how his team is playing, particularly about effort, that doesn't require him to watch the game four times. So when we talk about these nonsensical things Thibodeau talks about in terms of why he can't talk about why the team is struggling or things that they're they're not doing to a certain level, the whole well, I gotta watch the film is just not an excuse. This is a guy that took his team to the NBA finals, and he don't seem to have to watch the film to know whether or not his team is giving maximum effort. So and also if he watched the film and saw a guy not try, you know, for possession right. after possession after possession, um, he wouldn't be afraid to call out that player publicly and, and, and answer the carpet. And maybe maybe one season he'd try and let the player get away with it because he felt, you know, based on a personal relationship that that might be beneficial. Um, but not a time and again and again and again, year after year after year. Exactly. Now, speaking about the Miami Heat, and as much as it pains me to make this comment, because I hate the Miami Heat as a Knicks fan growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s, what is something about the Miami Heat that you would like to see the Knicks implement in terms of how they run their team? Yeah, listen, I, I mean, it's obvious. The answer, I think, is pretty obvious, and it's it's a cliche at this point. It's a meme at this point, but key yeah. culture, you know, and, right. and um, uh, you, you got to respect it, um, you, you know, because the the, the the proof is in the pudding. The, the Heat are preparing for uh, a Game 7, if, um, uh, NBA Finals, after beating the Celtics in Game 7. And if should the, um, the Heat find a way to beat the Nuggets, this will go down as one of the most impressive postseason runs in, in NBA history. Knocked off For the sure. number one seed, you know, the, the, the odds on by far, championship favorite Bucks in the first round. Knocked off the Knicks in round two. Team with the second best record, they play in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, beat them in seven games after losing games five, six, uh, four, five, and six um, on yep. the verge of an historic collapse. Come back, take a gut punch, literal buzzer beater in game six. The first one uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a playoff game of that magnitude since, I believe, a literal buzzer beater since, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Jordan shot over over Craig Elo. Um, you know, you just it it, it just it, it, it's fascinating. Um, and, and should they go on to beat the number one seed in the in the West um, that that romped through the Western Conference playoffs um, would would really be an impressive run. And a lot of it has to do with accountability. We talked about it with Mike Malone, and that's that's the underpinnings of of the 
you know, um, you know, they demand um, effort. They demand hustle. Yeah. They demand those other things that other teams hope for. You know, you want to sign talented players and hope they play hard. They sign guys that work hard who also happen to be talented. Um, and and you see it. And and you and, and another thing, obviously, is development of of undrafted players and finding you, you know diamonds in the rough. So I think those are are, are two things going forward that uh, obviously every team in the NBA can learn from. Yeah, you mentioned Heat culture, and I think on that same note, I think particularly how the Heat empower their role players to play yeah. like stars when needed. Because we saw it in the last series with Caleb Martin, where it wasn't a Heat team saying, hey, we're just going to run every single play through Jimmy Butler, and it's going to be Jimmy Butler or bust whether we win or lose these games. Like, if they got a guy who's playing well, who has talent, they empower these guys to make plays. And Caleb Martin goes out there, plays with no fear, uh, plays with no conscience, and you know, undrafted, undrafted. It doesn't matter once you're in the NBA. Once you're in the NBA, you're in the NBA. And you're in the NBA yep. for a reason. All these guys have talent. And I think the way that he empowered their role players, whether it's uh, Martin, whether it's a Gabe Vincent, whether it's a Max Shrews, whether it's a, uh, a Duncan Robinson, like, and you hear the way Jimmy Butler talks about these guys, how much confidence he has in these guys. That gives these other guys confidence as well. And I think for the Knicks, how many times did we watch the Knicks this past season and said, why don't they get Quinn Grimes more involved? Why don't they run more plays for Obi Toppin? Why don't they play a man quickly more minutes before the Brunson injuries and he had to play more time? Like sometimes the Knicks are kind of slow to say, hey, we don't have to just live or die with Brunson and Randall. Like we can get these other guys involved and make these other guys part of the game, make these, let these other guys make plays. I think the way that he developed their guys is a main reason why these guys are successful, of course. But also the way they empower these other players and get these guys shot attempts, get these guys involved in the offense. It allows these guys to stay ready so that when there is an injury to Tyler Hero or Jimmy Butler doesn't have it on a certain night, that these guys can step up and play great. I mean, the Knicks saw how effective Struess and Duncan Robinson and Martin and uh, Vincent could be in that last series. You know, there was a game where Jimmy Butler didn't play, and they still almost won. So I think for me, how the Heat empower their role players is something I would love to see the Knicks do. Because I think that that's what, in the end, makes a great championship team. And I think a lot of it starts from the top down, you know, obviously Riley to Spolstra to Jimmy Butler, yeah. that, that kind of hierarchy um, are on the same page uh, and there's an understanding there, but there's also a humbleness there. Um, and it sounds silly, but it's something we talked about during the regular season at times, Randall's insistence that he was going to shoot free throws on technical free throws, you know, like that is something that, you know, like that, that Spolster would have called out and said, listen, you're not a, you're not the team's best free throw shooter. Who do you think you are? You know, stepping the line like that. Um, and, 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 and guys on the heat knowing that, um, you know, Jimmy Butler in a, in a game seven and a game one in a, in a, in a, in a you know, must win game four on the road is going to play both ends of the floor. When you have right. your, when you have your hardest, you know, your, your, your best player, Jokic, you can speak the same of, you know, he's obviously not as skilled or athletic as, 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 um, uh, as Jimmy Butler, but in terms of intensity, and effort um, and, and, and unselfishness, those, those, are, those are traits that, that kind of seep down to the rest of the team. Um, and when you have a player, your highest paid player, your leading scorer, who doesn't, in, let's put it kindly to Mr. Randall, doesn't embody those characters, those same characteristics, it can kind of have a trickle-down effect, um, which is why, despite the regular season success, um, we'll be talking about the Knicks potentially trading Julius Randle, um, even though he's an All-NBA performer. So there's just so much to weigh there. But, you know, we talked about coaching. Um, 
chemistry is obviously another huge thing with both of these teams. Yeah. You can see it's, it's impossible not to notice um, the, 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 the closeouts on shooters, um, you know, from the, from the highest big player to the, to the, you know, uh, Alonzo Highsmith, you know, playing five minutes a game, you know, yeah. just oh, uh, Hayward, Hayward Highsmith. Hayward Highsmith too. I, I always want to call him Alonzo too, because of the Miami projection. The <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it, you know, again, a lot of it has, the, as I said, um, kind of trickle down effect from the top front office coaching staff, best player, those that, that when you have a, you know, a, an alignment there, um, that's good news. And no, no one on the team has a sense of entitlement. Like yes. think about yes. like Duncan Robinson has that insane 2020 run in the playoffs where he established himself as maybe the best yep. shooter in the NBA and he gets this massive contract. And then next year, Couple weeks in, couple months in, they're like, ah, this guy ain't cutting it. Have a seat. Have yep. a seat, and we'll tell you when we're ready to put you back in. Yep. But this guy, Max Struess, who's making basically peanuts, is yep. bringing more on the defensive end. He's a more versatile player. He's going to go in. And that, and the fact that they're able to do that to a guy like that, and that guy still be hungry and still yep. be ready to produce when he his number is called, like it is in this postseason when Tyler Hill breaks his hand, is it's just a testament to what they've built as – I hate to say it again. He culture. It, it just is what it is. A hundred percent. And he could have complained. He could have demanded trade. Yeah. Old, old as old. Um, another perfect example. Caleb Martin. There, they, they didn't make many signings after less after losing Game Seven in Boston the year before. Um, they let yeah. PJ Tucker go. You know, uh, financial restrictions. They Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin doesn't play well essentially for the first half of the, of the season. Um, you know, decent but not great. They Kevin Love gets waived by Cleveland. They sign him off the street, bump Caleb Martin to the bench, insert Kevin Love in the starting lineup. Um, Caleb Martin doesn't bellyache. He makes the most of his opportunities. Eventually, as the playoffs were on, he outplays Kevin Love by in a dramatic fashion. Kevin Love gets bumped back to the bench. Yep. You see Kevin Love cheering on the on the sideline and supporting his team. Caleb Martin back in the starting lineup and uh, was a vote away from being Eastern Com- most valuable player in the Eastern Conference Finals. So again, to, perfectly to illustration of your point, um, the Heat culture, the accountability, the unselfishness, all that type of stuff. Um, Looking for players that don't necessarily bring one talent, uh, just talent to the table, but also uh, the other intangibles that the other team yeah. are looking for. You just get the impression that anybody who's on the Heat roster is willing to do whatever it takes to win. And that's all they care about. They don't care about anything else. And it's I'm not going to say like this is a Nick problem because I think that like that's yes. not natural for most NBA teams to have exactly. like 12 guys on the roster that's willing to do whatever it takes to win. Right. So that means. Uh, Caleb Martin's got to score 25, then he's ready and willing to do that. That means Caleb Martin's got to play 10 minutes and play behind Kevin Love. That means he's willing and able to do that. If it means Jimmy Butler's got to score 50, he's willing to do that. If it means he's got to have 10 assists and score 12 points, he's willing to do that. Like, instilling that culture. And to Tom Tibble's credit, I feel like he he talks about that a lot. He does try to talk about that and say that, like, winning is all that matters and that you need to see what you're doing to contribute to winning. He's often made those kind of comments related to R.J. Barrett, when Barrett has struggled with scoring. So I'm not going to act like Tom Thibodeau doesn't talk about this. But you got to be about it for all 12 guys on the roster, like I said. It can't be excuses or uh, or exemptions for certain guys because they give you 20 and 10. Or even Jalen Brunson, he's a guy that is a great offensive player, but is not giving you defense on something like You can't just say, well, he's a great point guard, so we're just okay with that. Like, And Jalen Brunson, he keeps himself accountable, so I'm not so worried about him. But that – that aspect, that idea that everybody – how many times we saw Mitchell Robinson belly aching because Knicks won a game by 20, but he had two shots. Like, that kind of thing just doesn't fly with the Miami Heat. Like, 
Um, wasn't that guy Deadman on the team and like he was going crazy during the season during one game of the season? They got him out of there so fast, like you could you well, you had to say his name, he was on another team. Like, that's just not gonna be allowed or accepted in Miami. And it's it's all in or all out. That's it. Like I have so many people talking the story about LeBron James going to Pat Riley's office and saying, Yo, like I we just not with this guy, Eric Spolstra. And Pat Riley being like, Who the hell are you to tell me how to run the team? Who he said that to LeBron James. I understand he's Pat Riley, but he's saying this is the best player in the world, one of the greatest players of all time. And he's saying, Who the hell are you to tell me how to run an NBA team? You are part of a team. And if Pat Riley can do that to LeBron James, that's a message to everybody that ever comes to the Miami Heat about who's in charge, what the demand is, and the attitude of either you're in or you're out, and it's all about winning, and that's it. And I, I really hope that the Knicks find a way to recreate that aspect because I think to me it's it's it, it embodies New York City. It's why Pat Riley and his teams in New York were beloved because they kind of had that same mindset. Yeah, I mean, totally. And, and to, also, as you noted, this is not it's something that's, uh, you know, singular to the Knicks. You know, every every yeah, team exactly. is jealous of the, of the way the Miami get, gets their guys to buy in. Exactly. So who you got in this series? Miami, Nuggets, who wins how many games? Yeah. And, and listen, we just uh, waxed poetic and, and f- threw far too many flowers at the heat. So, um, you know, this comes from a place of respect for what Miami has done. Right. I picked them to beat the Celtics. Um, you know, I, um, that being said, I think the Nuggets are too good, too deep. Jokic is, they have no answer for Jokic. Bam is a good defensive player, but a bit undersized against, you know, the big size, strength, IQ um, of Jokic. Um, so I got the, I got the nuggets in five. Um, I wow. think they're going to make relatively uh, short work of Miami again. I, would I be surprised if the heat went nothing the heat <laughs> that has happened this postseason would, would shock me. Um, so again, with giving all the ton of credit, um, uh, to Miami, we talked about all the reasons why they've been successful. Um, there are a lot of reasons why the nuggets were able to sweep the Lakers, a good Lakers team, um, why they've cruised basically, um, uh, you know, since, uh, since January, um, with the, with the best record in the Western conference. Um, I think this is with as well as, as Jamal Murray's playing, um, with this, you know, you bring Bruce Brown off the bench. Um, I think Aaron Gordon's going to do, do a good job holding, um, Jimmy Butler in check, um, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is going to knock down some threes, and then Jokic. I think this is going to be a coronation of of Jokic, uh, the player that he's been the last three years hasn't been res- respected properly. Um, I think he's going to uh, put the crown on um, over the next couple weeks and really let the world know um, I'm not just a good player. I'm not just a great player. Um, I plan on going down as one of the greatest players of all time. And, and here's my kind of first entry um, into uh, letting the world know that that I'm here and I'm for real. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going with the Nuggets. Uh, I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say six. I'm giving the Heat two okay. games. I think that the Heat have just shown that uh, against all odds, like they're just not a team you could ever count out, and, and I think that anybody can make short work of them. And look, I doubted them every series they played, and I picked them literally to lose every series they played. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna guess I'm gonna pick them to lose again. But I think this is probably the one I'm giving them the most respect and saying, hey, the team that's essentially dispatched the entire Western Conference and has been, you know, probably the best overall team in the NBA for much of the season, I think you're going to win two games at least in this series. If they go seven, that wouldn't surprise me either. But I agree. I think the Nuggets just have too much firepower. I think I think, I think, think Miami kind of hurt themselves going to seven against Boston. Like yeah. They needed to dispatch them a lot quicker. They need all yep. the rest they could get, um, all the uh, potential, you know, uh, planning and, and game planning and strategizing, trying different things. 
in practice to kind of get themselves ready for this series. I think losing that time, I think, was costly. I think had that not happened, I think this maybe is a seven-game series and maybe it's more of a swing series, in my opinion. I think going that far down the road against Boston, I think, hurt them. So that's why I'm picking the Nuggets in six. But it should be yeah, plus, uh, plus, an entertaining you're, you're, series. You give Mike Malone 12 days to prepare for an opponent. That's, that's trouble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, we'll see – how the finals goes, we'll continue to update you guys on the latest involved with the NBA finals. But let's wrap up the show here, talking about some of the other big moves happening in the Eastern Conference this postseason. Um, Nick Nurse, he's hired by Philadelphia to be their head coach. He takes over for Doc Rivers, who was fired a few weeks ago. Nurse has reportedly already had a productive meeting with Joel Embiid ahead of being hired by Philadelphia. Then in Milwaukee, you got Nick Nurse's former assistant, Adrian Griffin, being hired to be their head coach. This is Griffin's first NBA head coaching job, but he's been a veteran on the sidelines. He's served on the likes of Nurse, Billy Donovan, Mike Krzyzewski, working with Team USA, and Tom Thibodeau, of all coaches. And then finally, uh, with the elimination of the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, there could be changes coming in Boston as well. Now, head coach Joe Mazzula may have done enough to keep his job by forcing a Game 7 in that series against Miami, but questions loom about what will happen with Jalen Brown. He's a you know second team All NBA forward, which means he is eligible for a five year, two hundred ninety five million dollars super max extension this offseason. His current contract expires in twenty twenty four. So staying with Brown real quick, um, do you think Brown stays in Boston? And if he doesn't, should the Knicks be interested? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of go back and forth, but I, I, I think that it, it, I think he probably stays. Um, the, 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 here's the deal. The, he has the opportunity to become the highest paid player in the history of the sport. I know that'll only be for a short time until the next player signs the yeah. next max free agency, but a, a five-year $295 million contract is, 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 is staggering, mind-boggling. Um, if he demands that, you know, listen, I'm not, you have to sign me that or I, or I want out of here, you, then you don't respect me, yada, yada, yada. Then you, then you have to reassess the situation and probably move on from him. If he's willing to accept a little less than that, um, or a lot less than that, you know, five years, 225 million, so, you know, something workable, um, still making him uh, one of the highest paid players in the sport. Um, but, uh, you know, considering he's not even the best player on his own team, that's, you know, you'd seem that would seem like a, a, a wise compromise. Again, the Celtics have to sign Tatum to 315 million contract the summer after this. So um, right. there's there's a, there's <laughs> there's a there's only so much money to go around. You think if you want to you know build a, a sustainable success and a roster that can survive you know the ups and downs and have depth, etc. Um, so uh, for that reason, um, but it, but the problem when you when you get you start looking at the alternatives, how do you trade Jalen Brown and get better? I know we played poorly um, in game seven, um, but, yeah. uh, you know, he's also had some really good games. We saw him play, you know, score 34 in the finals um, against the Warriors um, the, the, the prior season. So, um, and he was an all-NBA player. He plays both ends of the floor. Does he need to work on his handle? Yes. Does he need to go down on the turnovers? Yeah. Yes. Does he need to work on a shot selection? Yes. There are obviously, you know, flaws there. Um, but, again, he's only 26 years old, has a ton of experience, um, has had a ton of success, has played more playoff games than anybody his age um, in NBA history. So, um, you know, I go back and forth. I think ultimately um, uh, the, the, this, the, 
both sides will come to an agreement on a slightly reduced contract income to that extension. And then going forward, if they ultimately decide that, you know, a couple of years from now um, that, it, that these two Tatum and Brown have to be broken up, at least at that point, they'll have them under contract. They won't, you know, they'll have some leverage to deal to deal him as opposed to him leaving via free agency. Um, I just think it, it, it behooves both sides to make a short term uh, to make a deal in the short term and then kind of reassess the future um, one or two or three years out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I don't think he should be back. If I was Boston, I would trade him. Um, I, I think that you cannot sign him to that $295 million contract. That's insane. Um, could you get him for less? Maybe. And if he agreed to less, maybe I would I would consider it. But I, I do think that they need to shake things up with the whole Brown-Tatum thing. Like, we've seen this story now for four or five years now. I, I just don't think that this is a championship combo. And it's not – so much necessarily indictment on either guy, but I think when you're allocating so much to those two players and then Marcus Smart is your starting point guard, I just don't think you can win. I think you need to upgrade the point guard position. And what Smart does with the intangibles, the defense, the clutch shot making, like I understand all of that. I'm not necessarily saying he has to be off the team, but they just don't have a floor general, a guy that can get them into a consistent, easy baskets. And I think that that's one of the reasons why they keep falling short. Because when you watch these games, they play this kind of random offense at the most crucial parts of games. And a lot of it is run through Tatum going ISO or Brown, who, as you mentioned, not the greatest ball handler, going ISO. And when you're playing against teams like the Miami Heat, teams like the Golden State Warriors, you're never going to win with those guys playing that way. So I would trade Brown to get in an all-star caliber point guard. I, I float out there, Trey Young. I think that that is something that could make sense. Brown is from Atlanta, so maybe he'd want to resign there. Maybe you consider a Dame Lillard swap. I don't know what it is, but I think something has to be changed in Boston. It's a it's a fair point. I mean, listen, there's it's it's can Tatum and Brown be the best two best players on the championship team? The the the, the jury is certainly out. Yeah. Um, you know, it almost it, like it, I feel like to me like it, like. I, I think Tatum could absolutely be the best player on the championship team, and I think yeah. Brown could be the second best player on the championship team. Yeah. I just don't know if it's on the Celtics together. You know what I'm saying? Like, like and there's evidence to suggest that that's the case. Uh, but, but there's also evidence a year ago today where they up two one or, or yeah, a year true. and a, you know they were they were that close, like a, a, a historic Steph Curry game four away from putting a chokehold on the finals. But you know this year they took a step back. If they if if Ime Doka stays around, you know and and kind of you know keeps the Celtics in line all year, maybe does that make the difference? Um, there's a lot there. I, I I like what you're saying. If they can get a, an equivalent star back, then I then I think you definitely have to consider it. I just don't know. Um, if you can, because you got to do it, you know, you can't do it at the deadline because then you're yeah. trading a guy that's a rental, you know? So that's why I said, it's you know, be maybe, a soft season. Yeah. right. Right. So maybe it's an extended trade, you know, something along those lines, but um, it, it's fascinating to think about, you know, where it can go. And real quickly, I know we got to get out of here. A nurse in Philly, Griffin in Milwaukee, you think that makes it more or less likely that indeed Giannis stay where they are. We'll see. Uh, I think all the fan bases want to buy in. Owen Bead signed off on it. Let, let's 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 wait to see how it plays out. Um, I do think there's some smoke to the uh, Embiid Philly fire, which is something Nick fans will definitely keep an eye on and, and something we'll talk about over the next few weeks. Totally agree on that front. So that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast and Odyssey WFN original a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. 
Make sure you hit the auto download feature to get these episodes every time we drop. We'll be back on Friday with another new episode. So make sure you guys um, make sure you hit that auto download feature on your streaming service. Also, check us out on YouTube. Find us on the WFN channel and the Odyssey Sports channel. Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stu on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.